Hello, and welcome to the Running Hook Podcast, hosted by Alex Burr, a member of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes little bit of a somber note after that exciting intro. Your Purdue Boilermakers went down in the first round to the University of North Texas Mean Green or something like that. Some stupid nickname. Dylan Hughes, I'm just going to give you the floor here. Go ahead and grieve, buddy. Okay, first of all, the Mean Green is not a stupid nickname. Okay, that that is very disrespectful. I think instead of going with the Wildcats or the Tigers – like everyone else in the fucking college basketball, they said, hey, you know what? We're going to give uh, a color, some animated personality here. We're going to call ourselves the Mean Green. And, you know, I don't think, aside from the Virginia game that we discussed at length last time, I think, like, this was one of the few Purdue losses I haven't hated the other team for. Because, I mean, North Texas is a fun team. Like, their backcourt is really good. They have this kid named Hamlet that just drops, like, 25-30 like it's nothing. I mean, he kind of reminds me of, like, a Kay Felder type. Like, just a just a very underrated – and there's a bunch of these guys in college, especially at these smaller schools. But just, you know, they just put up a bunch of points and no one really ever hears about them because they play for North Texas. But, you know – it, again, Purdue was never supposed to be a four seed. They're pretty much half of their roster was freshmen. And two of their best players last year transferred out, Matt Harms and Noel Eastern. Like they, I mean, they, they lost a bunch and it was a young team. So I don't, I'm not too upset about it. I think, uh, I mean, I thought I, they had a decent run at making, you know, winning a few games, but. They uh, they just weren't able to keep up with North Texas's scoring, so I'm I am at peace with with the Purdue loss. So um, I was at I believe it was Oklahoma State Liberty, and they were kind of playing the game. I was in case you missed Linsanity yesterday. I was covering the first round for the NCAA tournament, and I was I was at Oklahoma State Liberty. You know, I'm watching the game. I try my best to concentrate on the game. And I'm checking scores because they're talking about it. There's like um, a Liberty press writer or a Liberty beat writer sitting right next to me and they're talking about upsets. And I think I hear him say that North Texas beat Purdue. And I was like, huh? And I just was like, well, everything we've been talking about on the power hour for the last however many months, I I feel like this is my fault. Dylan Hughes for hopping on the bandwagon and trying to, trying to be a good friend here. No, it's because listen, if I was if I was ever gonna blame anyone, it would be myself because I have attached myself to some very disappointing Purdue teams of all sports, mostly football, as we discussed before the pod. Um, so you know, I I appreciate your support and I I want you to stay on the bandwagon because I think the next few years are gonna be pretty bright for us. Of course, of course. Always on the Purdue bandwagon now, you know, a boilermaker for for life now, basically. So shout out, shout out my Boilermakers. Um, you'll, you'll be very glad to have a fair weather fan like me on board, but let's go ahead and get to the NBA. Um, 
tomorrow is the trade deadline. And by tomorrow, I mean the today when this is coming out. And if a trade happens, we're recording. This is about 7.13 Eastern on Wednesday. So if we miss something, we miss something. And luckily for you guys, we will have a massive running hook episode tomorrow night with the Battleground guys and with Caleb Lynn. So we'll we'll recap all the trade deadlines day action for you. Dylan Hughes, we would have him join us, but he is going to have surgery tomorrow. So so my friend, I hope you are okay. And we have some other some other running hook news. Dylan Hughes, you have another podcast on the network now. Go ahead and tell the people what we know so far about your new your new venture that we announced on Twitter today, Divine Rhyme. Yes. Yeah, so after. A year plus of very intense, personally connecting conversations off the mic. Myself and Will William Hogsett, the Prince of Indianapolis, um, have decided to come together and publish our conversations for the world to hear. So we're gonna be we're gonna be uh, so Divine Rhyme. It's gonna be a music podcast, but. We're going to twist in a lot of the stuff we like to talk about, which is kind of like life, lessons, spirituality, uh, which you find a lot in music, especially the music that me and Will listen to. So we're going to be we're going to be putting all that stuff in, together into our own pod. And I think it's going to be good. I've been wanting to do something like this for a long time. And when Will brought the idea up to me, I thought it was a great idea because our listeners may not know Will too much. He he hasn't been on very many pods. And every time he's on here, he's talking about LeBron James. So people people basically just know him for one thing. Um, but Will is an amazing guy and very intelligent. Um, so and I, I really enjoy talking with him. And I think I think this audience and people that aren't listening yet will uh, enjoy it as well. So I'm looking forward to getting started on that. Almost everything you said is true. Almost. Now I will say he has not only been on for LeBron related contact content. Has he talked about LeBron in every episode? Yes. But Dylan Hughes during the playoffs last year, we did a top 10 playoff players and will Hogsett. I believe LeBron was his number one player because LeBron was the best player in last year's playoffs, but we spent a good portion of time talking about other players in LeBron. So I object to you saying that, sir. How dare you? <laughs> okay. You know, I, uh, I, I may have missed it a little bit there, but he, he at least tries to throw some LeBron stuff in whether that's the topic or not. So, you know, that's, that's just uh, the William Hawks that way. I, I will say then what we did after that was we, uh, <laughs> we did an MJ LeBron debate. So, you know, I, I have no counters to that, but yes, I'm very excited for this venture. Um, we need it. I like having content that isn't just about sports on the running hook. That That's something that matters to me personally. And it matters, you know, hopefully to people that are, are, will be inclined to listen, especially I love talking to Dylan and I love talking to Will. And I haven't heard any of these Will and Dylan conversations, but from what I've heard, they're absolutely fascinating. So I, I can't wait to hear them on a microphone. And after Dylan's uh, after Dylan's surgery, we will have more details of that. And it's listen, it's going to be a great time, Dylan Hughes. You're, you and Will are going to be are going to knock it out of the park. Oh yeah, I'm telling you, 
me and Will go on tangents. So these these are going to be organized tangents. I, I think it's going to be beautiful. Is it going to be a, a better tangent than our tangent on the Lob City Clippers during the Detroit Pistons segment a couple months ago? You know, um, that that is currently in the rafters, <laughs> but there's plenty of room up there, you know? So I think uh, I think we're going to have to move that over and we definitely might have some tangents to throw up there soon. Listen, you know, it's it's retired like Blake Griffin's jersey was when the Clippers tried to re-sign him. Ayo. <laughs> um, on that note, let's go ahead and move to the news for the week. And let's face it, a lot of the times we try to go through the league and give you, you know, like maybe injuries to role players. But there were two massive injuries this week. So. Let's start with LeBron James. LeBron James had a high ankle sprain, and he is going to miss a period of several weeks. While Anthony Davis is still recovering from his injury that he re- he sustained a good while ago, I want to say. I don't think he's played since January. Um, Dylan Hughes. The Lakers should be fine in the playoffs, but for the regular season, is it safe to, to guess? They are currently fourth in the Western Conference, and the Nuggets are about two games behind them. Are you going to safely assume that they, during this time where LeBron is out, they'll fall out of the top six? I would say yes, because Portland is getting healthier. Portland's right behind Denver, a game back of them, and that's the sixth seed. So, I mean, listen, we, well, I watched the, the Pelicans Lakers last night for this preparation of this. The Lakers didn't look, they didn't look great. Um, so, I mean, when your two best players are out and your two best players are LeBron James and Anthony Davis, times kind of get tough. So, I mean, this Western Conference is as deep as ever. So, like, I – and it seems like a lot of these other teams are getting healthier while they're getting injured. So, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if if they take a little bit of a stumble here. And I will just say (laughs) – it would be funny if they were the eighth seed and Utah was still the first seed. <laughs> like either that would Utah, be such a Utah thing to happen. Either Utah slays its biggest demon in the first round, and they have an easy road—not easy, but easier—road to the finals, or they lose in the first round to LeBron James. This is not going to like if that's the scenario. This isn't going to end well either way for for the Utah Jazz. Um, yeah, the Lakers. I didn't watch the Lakers game because I didn't have a whole lot of time this week being at the games. I needed some time to recover from basketball. There's just a basketball overload at this point. Um, but I did manage to catch a, a lot of Portland, even though I didn't watch the Lakers game last night. And Portland's looking great. They lost to the Nets last night, but it was like a three point or a four point game. So, and then Portland's looking good. Denver is, Jokic is just chug, chug, chugging away. I think it's safe to assume that they'll be Denver and Portland will be the four or five series. And then the Clippers aren't going to fall off. The Suns aren't going to fall off and the jazz might fall off, but even if they fall off, they built themselves up a hell of a cushion. So like at worst, they're going to be the second seed. So I think that the Lakers really are going to lose a lot here. And if they finish sixth, sixth is their absolute best case scenario. And I think that they won't finish sixth because Schroeder and Gasol and Kuzma. <laughs> I don't even know if Gasol is healthy, if I'm being honest with you. I think he might be. Yeah, he's out too. Uh, yeah. So you have you have Schroeder and, 
Harrell and Kuzma. Like, those are great third, fourth, and fifth guys. First, second, and third guys, I'm concerned. But as long as we have positive progress on Anthony Davis, I think they might be fine for the playoffs. But now, because I think I had them as favorites still, even with what Brooklyn did. But now, now I'm concerned about them coming into the playoffs with all these injuries. Well, it's interesting. I think these may be happening at the perfect time. Uh, I mean, Anthony Davis, I think, is still, like, weeks out. But if you really think about it, having Anthony Davis, just looking at his injury past, having Anthony Davis miss most of the regular season and come back for the playoffs healthy may be the best thing for them. Um, Obviously, Anthony Davis without LeBron James is a different story. And high ankle sprains are not something to mess around with, especially if you're someone like LeBron that is not only old in basketball terms, but carries a massive load for them on offense. Uh, I mean, he's not a guy that can just stand in the corner and shoot threes, you know, like he's, he's running the show. So he needs healthy ankles. And of course, LeBron, we've seen in the past, like he's, He's almost immune to injuries or serious injuries. I mean, the the injury he had in his first year with the Lakers was probably not as bad as they acted like. I think once they were out of the playoffs, he was like, screw it. I just played in the finals three years in a row or however. No, it was how many years? Was it like six years in a row? It was eight years in a row. Eight years in a row, yeah. I just played in the damn finals eight years in a row. So I think I'll, I'm going to take half the season off with this team that sucks. Um, so I don't think that injury was even that real. This, obviously, this is probably pretty bad. I mean, like they did get a lot of time off last year when the COVID, when COVID hit. I mean, they got like three, four months off, but they did pull, like the bubble was, was two months straight of basketball. They got two months off and then they're right back to it. So it wouldn't surprise me if LeBron's body is kind of catching up with him. And it's going to be interesting to see when he does come back. Cause I mean, again, he's, he's been able to kind of beat the odds with this stuff before. Um, I mean, there was a lot of those, the second stint in Cleveland, he dealt with a lot of injuries that he just kind of played through. Um, so, so we'll see, but yeah, I, they may get healthy at the perfect time, but they're they're at the very least going to slide the standings. Yeah, and I I couldn't agree more with everything you just said. Um, I just think that LeBron is superhuman. Like he is not human, <laughs> but even like the last guy we said that about Kobe Bryant. I feel like everyone's like, oh my god, Kobe Bryant. This guy's playing thirty eight minutes a game at age thirty, whatever. And then by the time he was like thirty six, he was out of the league. Like the fact that LeBron's still doing it at this point is remarkable, but he's human and we should start expecting to start breaking down soon. I mean, diminished LeBron, you could argue that this is diminished LeBron, right? Yeah. And he's still putting up like 28, seven and seven still, or however, what do you, I don't have his averages off the top of my head, but I just think that if he misses a good amount of time, then the Lakers are going to fall to like six and fans are going to start trickling back in for the playoffs. Luckily, if they play the Clippers in the first round, Dylan Hughes, 
they'll have home court advantage all seven games. So that doesn't really matter. <laughs> but and there's no travel either. <laughs> exactly. But if they play like Phoenix or, or Utah in the first round, right? Then I could see that maybe being an issue, but it's yeah. too it's too early to say. Anthony Davis, I would have to assume, will be back probably by the middle of April. But like you said, Anthony Davis led teams. <laughs> uh, they have not. They, Anthony Davis led teams have done well one time, and that's off the back of Rajon Rondo, Drew Holiday, and Nikola Mirotic. So I think that yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say Rick Pitino game. Drew Holiday not walking through that door. <laughs> um, Tyreek Evans not walking through that door. <laughs> Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon might be walking through that door. Like tomorrow's the trade deadline. You never know who's going where, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think we can go ahead and move on to LaMelo. LaMelo fractured his right wrist. Um, I think he played through it in the game that he injured it in. But at first they said he was going to be out for the rest of the season. But now they're saying he's going to be reevaluated in four weeks. So, I mean, first of all, Dylan, would you even rush him back? And second of all, just talk about how fun he's been this year. I mean, his his development in season has been amazing. Like early on, I mean, I don't expect guards to be efficient early on because it's just hard to be a lead guard in the NBA. Um but, like, he started off the year, you know, expected, like, you know, shooting around 40% from the field. And all of a sudden, in the past couple months, you start looking at stat lines. It's like, oh, he was 9 of 15 tonight. Oh, he was 15 of 20. You know, like, he was all of a sudden, like, his shot selection just got way better. And, and I think it was a combination of the shot selection and the fact that he was just figuring things out um, as he went. I mean, he, he is an incredibly smart player. And I mean, we've talked about him a lot. We both are in love with his game. And I mean, he, he is like, he's got superstar tatted all over him, you know, like he's, I'm happy for Charlotte that he ended up there because I mean, he's going to be way bigger than Kemba, you know, like Kemba was the guy they, they were so in love with for years because they just had nothing for so long. And and then they get this dude who is just awesome. And they have a bunch of really good young guys on that team around him too. So it, you know, part of me is sad that this happened. Um, but, you know, you got to recognize that this is his first year. And we kind of have to be grateful that we got to see him play this well this early on and just look forward to next season, most likely when he returns and be excited for that. As far as, you know, what Charlotte's going to do here, I mean, again, they have a good team without him. It's probably not good enough to hold where they're at at the seventh seed, or they're, they're tied for fifth with two other teams. Um, but, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up making the play-in tournament just because those bottom five teams in the East, like, you got Detroit at the very bottom. They're not making a run. Orlando, Washington – Cleveland, maybe, probably not. Toronto is most likely going to trade two of their best players by tomorrow. So they're going to take a tumble. And at that point, you know, you're at the 10th seed. So Charlotte is probably going to make the play-in tournament. Uh, either way, I mean, this is a good draft coming up. So this could be a mini blessing for them where they take a little stumble 
And, oh, hey, we got this awesome guy to pair with Lamelo and all these other guys. So, you know, it, it is sad just, just from a fan standpoint that he's out. Um, but I think next year Charlotte is going to be really dangerous. Oh, yeah. And especially if they add a center. Like, I don't think Indiana would do it, but there's a lot of rumors floating around that Miles Turner, the Hornets have a lot of interest in Miles Turner. And if you throw like PJ Washington and something else their way, I think that like either a first round pick or something of that nature, I think that, you know, you could make this team like instant, like miss the play in game contenders. Right. I think that they're pretty close to it. Their center rotation, as much as I like seller and as much as I like Biombo, how they've played, they're one of the probably five worst center rotations in the league. And they definitely need to upgrade down low, but I think that if you put if you push Zeller to backup or if you I mean you have a better center in front of Biombo, you're really close. And I do think not having Lamelo makes them worse. But we saw what Devontae Graham could do last year. I mean, if he could give you 75% of that, then they should probably be fine. Because Devontae Graham last year was a baller. And yes, you're gonna miss like Lamelo's rebounding, right? But Devontae Graham can put up six assists a game and 16 points, right? And he can give you one point. How many steals is? He can give you a steal a game, which is basically Lamelo's averaging 1.6, but still, you can, Devontae Graham can give you that. So sit Lamelo the rest of the year. You have nothing to gain from getting him back. Just the possibility of him getting hurt again. So let the let the bones reheal and just go ahead and move on. Um. All right, Dylan Hughes, you ready to move on to our teams? I am, but I do want to say first, to replace LaMelo, I mean, just run the Martin Twins into the ground. You know, if you want to play both of them 48 minutes and just constantly have them out there, just do it. I mean, they can handle it. We've seen what they're made of. So, and if you want to give them a break and maybe just run them like, you know, 45 minutes a game, I think that's respectable. So, um, we've, we've clearly proven that we have coaches listen to this pod. So whether James Borrego is one of those, we'll have to see. Um, but if so, I would like to see the Martin twins on the floor at all times. You know, who doesn't love them? Some Martin twins. I think that they're one of the most fun. I think they're really fun to watch. So, Hey, I wouldn't mind 48 minutes of Martin twins, but I, I think the Hornets record, I think the Hornets are trying to make the playoffs, so I, I can't say that they would actually do that. But if you're trying to tank, yeah, do that, because that would be fun. But um, let's go ahead and move on to your least favorite team in the league, the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pelicans actually had a pretty good week, all things considered. They lost to the Trailblazers last Thursday, 101-93. Uh, they then beat the Denver Nuggets, 113-108. And then they beat the Los Angeles Lakers, the absolutely withered down Los Angeles Lakers, 128 to 111. They are 19 and 24, good for 11th in the Western Conference. And Dylan Hughes, so in the theme of the last week and what we're going to do the rest of the the season, we're going to be going with our big questions. And really, the Pelicans have one ginormous question looming over them and then a couple of smaller questions. So the first question I sent you, and I'm I'm sending Dylan these questions now so I don't catch them off guard. Um, Can Ingram and Zion work together long-term? Okay. After watching them this week, especially, well, I can't even say especially last night against the Lakers because they're just awesome every game. But those two are just like guaranteed for basically between 50 and 60 points a game. I mean, they're both getting like 
I just like I think Zion has 21 games of 20 plus points in a row. And I mean, I think Ingram is basically around that too. I mean, listen, we can talk about Zion a lot. I want to talk about Ingram because so when he came into the draft years ago, everyone was throwing the KD comparisons at him. And obviously that is ridiculous expectations of throwing anyone. And these draft analysts just always do it. I mean, there's someone that's compared to Kawhi Leonard every single draft. And it's just always hysterical because it is clearly is never going to work out. And I mean, it's impossible to say there's never going to be another Kevin Durant because I mean, there's awesome, like there's always awesome players coming into the league and, you know, you can't really put a cap on what some of these guys can become. But with Ingram, it was like, yeah, I don't know. And then, of course, early on with the Lakers, he sucked, or at least he sucked compared to expectations. So everyone's like, oh, yeah, I remember those KD comparisons. So dumb. Watch Brandon Ingram right now and tell me a smoother score in the league besides Kevin Durant. I mean, seriously. I mean, there may be some, but he's up in that group. I mean, he gets any freaking shot he wants. The pull-up mid-range stuff that Kevin Durant has done his whole career, Brandon Ingram's doing it. He's hitting those shots. I mean, seriously, he he is one of the best tough shot makers in the league. I mean, him and Kyrie, like I watch, and obviously they're very different players. They're different sizes. But when I watch Ingram, it reminds me of Kyrie so much because they're just shots that they should never hit, and they always hit them. And... And listen, Ingram is not a pull-up from three guy. Like, he he takes hard shots all the time. I mean, he's always driving and getting tough shots at the rim and tough shots in the mid-range, and he just continues to sink them. And, I mean, he is so confident with the ball. And, I mean, I absolutely think that he can be the best player on a really good team. Like, I don't know if he can be the best player on a finals team yet just because we haven't even seen them make the playoffs yet. But – with the right team around him, and he's got a hell of a start with Zion there. I mean, I think within the next few years, you know, it's going to be interesting to track. You know, is he the best guy on a team? Is he a second banana? I don't know. But I can I can tell you right now he's pretty damn good at basketball. And despite the fact that they have such limited spacing, he still continues to thrive. And it's the same, same thing for Zion. Earlier in the season when we talked about them – I just talked about how much I hated watching the Pelicans because they have no space. But despite this space, or maybe in spite of it, Zion and Ingram just, they just bully their way to points anyway. And I seriously don't know if any extra space is necessary for them because they're playing so well right now. It almost, it almost like worries me that with more space, like, are they going to be way better or is it somehow going to get worse? I don't know. But, I mean, they're doing this with freaking Eric Bloods on the floor. And you don't see a ton of negativity from NBA commentators. But Reggie Miller last night was like, Eric Bledsoe just does not look interested to be out there right now. And I'm like, yes, Reggie, because he's fucking not. He just does not belong on this team at all. And I don't know if he belongs on any team. I mean. Wait, wait, before you continue, I texted our good friend Caleb Blinn. And I'm like, listen, I know you're focusing on college basketball right now, but there's no way Eric Bledsoe makes has, has another contract on NBA team. There's absolutely no way. 
absolutely no way in hell another team willingly signs this man to play basketball after what he's done the last two years. Yeah, and it's sad because, I mean, he is not a bad player. Like, he's talented. There's no doubt about that. He's He's been a productive player for a long time at this point. But, I mean, it's like if he's not invested, he's just not invested. It's very clear. It's like I don't – you know, I'm not the guy that's going to call people unprofessional, but, I mean, he is just not in it. And he's really just a waste of space out there. And I don't want to dip into the next question too much. But when Kyra Lewis is out there, it's a lot more exciting. It's a lot more free moving. And it's like, get get him on the floor and someone else. I, I don't want to see Bledsoe out there anymore. Um, especially because Zion and Ingram do so much of the handling anyway. It's like, what's the point of having another ball handler out there that can't shoot? I mean, he's just, he's just not – he just does not fit in. But that's what's exciting about this New Orleans team because, I mean, I think Zion and Ingram absolutely can fit together. Because on paper, like they both need the ball a good amount and they both don't shoot threes. So on paper, you would think, oh, maybe there's a better fit. But they're both very efficient with the ball. So even though they're not shooting the typical shot profile you would like from the two best players on a team, they're so efficient it doesn't really even matter. Um, So I – I really, even though I still hate the build of their team, I, I'm at a point where I think I'm going to start watching them more because Zion and Ingram right now are just playing as well as they can. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, this is why this conversation doesn't hold any water to me. So Zion is averaging 26 points a game, but he's doing it on 16 shots a game. Like, he doesn't need shots the way Ingram needs shots because he's going to hit most of his shots, right? It's different when you take off the dribble jumpers versus when you're taking everything in the paint, right? Except somehow, like, it doesn't add up because most of your shots in the paint shouldn't be this easy. Like, you shouldn't be just bullying your way to the rim against everybody. Watching him, first of all, nobody... I'm going to say this, Dylan Hughes. He has the best in-air body mobility since Derrick Rose. Like, oh, yeah. it might It might be better than Derrick Rose, like the way he moves his body, he moves it like a small guy, but he can get shots over anybody with finesse or power. And I mean, it bears. He's shooting 62% from the field. Let me let me look at the cleaning the glass or the basketball reference, which I know isn't as good as cleaning the glass, but at the rim, 70% at the rim almost. And, you know, 74% of his shots are coming at the rim. So it's not like this man is shooting 70% at the rim, like on just back cuts, right? Like, it's not like, no offense to Zach Levine, he's our guy, but it's different than a Zach Levine 60% at the rim, where Zach Levine is taking like 60% of his shots from three. (laughs) This is 70% of his shots at the rim, 75% of his shots at the rim. And he's hitting 70% at the rim. So... And contrast that to, to Ingram, who's a lot more balanced of a shot diet. Like, so let's just go through the shot location distance on basketball reference. So 15% at the rim, 11% from three to 10 feet, 21% from 10 to 16 feet, which is honestly a pretty good percentage. 16% from 16 to three point line, which obviously probably a little less of, but it, he's fine. And then 35% of his shots from three. Like, I think those guys with those shot diets will be fine playing together. The problem is, and the problem has continued to be the guys around them, okay? The team last year <laughs> made a lot more sense than the team this year, right? 
And I don't know what happened to J.J. Redick. J.J. Redick is usually the picture perfect of uh, professionalism, but he hasn't seemed interested in playing there this year at all, and he's getting bought out. And I mean, I get it. You know, you've played on playoff teams your whole career. Boo-hoo. Vince Carter purposely went to the Hawks his last couple of years so he can mentor young guys. Come on now. Again, I know it's a different situation because obviously J.J.'s in a different spot in his contributing career, but he's 36. He's about to be done as a contributing NBA player. Like, this team would have been so much better off if they got George Hill instead of Eric Bledsoe. And conversely, the Thunder probably would have been so much worse off because George Hill, before he got hurt, was busting his ass in Oklahoma City. Like, he was playing real hard. Like, Horford and... I think Steven Adams is pretty close, not to wash, but he's not anywhere near he was like even two years ago. He's just not that like he's a lot slower than he used to be. And he's not as athletic as he used to be. He's lumbering now. And so you couldn't, you didn't used to say Steven Adams was lumbering. And I think that this team is just so poorly constructed around them, right? Like Steven Adams, he just, he doesn't belong on the floor with those guys. And he's a great like screen setter. And I love, like, I'd love him on, like, the Wizards or the, you know, if he was on the Celtics right now, right, it would be a lot better than the situation they have currently going on, but not on this team. Like, I'll, I'll ask the third question now, Dylan Hughes, because I think it's I think it's important since we're talking about Steven Adams this way. What center would you play next to Zion? Like, what center can fit next to Zion Williamson? Because I think Zion could be a good weak side shot blocker. He's averaging .9 a game right now. I think that could go up the more he learns like NBA positioning and stuff. So, or 0.7 at blocks a game, excuse me. But I think that you need like a, someone better at the rim. Like who do you think could pair well with Zion Williamson down low? Yeah. So I, I looked around the league a bit and just reasonable guys. They could acquire was kind of what I was going for because I mean, that's, that's going to be one of the first questions they have to answer this off season or hell by tomorrow, uh, I kind of doubt they would happen that quick. But so Miles Turner obviously like could fit anywhere at this point. I mean, he's proven he could play both big positions and good shooter, so they have more space and he can protect the rim. So and he can he can defend the perimeter too at this point. So I mean, just would just be the picture perfect fit. And really, as soon as they were as soon as everyone knew they were going to draft Sion and Anthony Davis was out the door, people were talking about Miles Turner. So I, I think that's always going to be one of the first guys people talk about. This this is a guy that would probably be the easiest for them to acquire and a guy we've talked about recently a lot. Uh, so probably we probably talked about this guy more than anyone has recently uh, or ever, but Gorgie Dang. Mm. I mean, again, this is a guy that every – like I just don't understand – why he's not discussed more because listen, he is, I think he's the perfect center um, for a good team. If you have a bunch of ball handlers that don't like Gorgie Jang is not going to demand the ball. You know, he's not a guy that needs shots. He's going to take open threes pretty good in the paint too. And he's going to defend the paint on the other end. I mean, very simple. Like he makes a lot of money now, but that's obviously going to change. Um, but I mean, he's not ideal as a starting center, but I mean, with everything they have going on, I think if, if Gorgie Jang is, is your starting center next to Zion um, Ingram and then whoever else is out there, 
I think you're fine. Like it, it's, it's a better place than they are now because Steven Adams is just, there's, there's not enough space with all those guys out there together. Um, so I get like, I think Jang is kind of like a, a mini miles Turner to me where it's like, if you try to get miles Turner, but can't, that's who you go after. That's, that's like the, a similar type of guy um, that, you know, and he can defend the perimeter a little bit too. Like he's, he's a versatile defender and he does what you want him to on defense. If you have a bunch of, or on offense, if you have a bunch of guys in the paint. So that's, that's probably the most realistic option. Um, and then I said Wendell Carter Jr., mm. who I think he is better in the paint, but I also think he has a longer range game that they just haven't tapped into yet. And I blame your Chicago Bulls for that, um, or your the old version of yourself, Chicago Bulls at least, for not tapping into that. And listen, again, he's better in the post. I don't want him shooting as many threes as I want Miles Turner shooting. But run some stuff where he's away from the rim so Zion and Ingram get some easier shots and then bring him in the paint. You know, like you, you figure out the balance of it. It's obviously something you have to work on. You have to figure out what works best. But, I mean, Wendell Carter Jr., I think, still has a bunch of upside. He just has some, some boiling stink on him. He's he's got some boiling stink. He's got to wash off. And is Stan Van Gundy that guy to do it? I don't know. But he's he's kind of one of those second draft guys that I think would be interesting for them to look at. Because listen, man, if if the Bulls are kind of souring on him, and I would be a little surprised if they soured on him and Lowry Markinen. I feel like you trade one of them and just see what the other has for at least another year. But and, and again, the trade deadline will answer that question. But, you know, if, if the Bulls get to a point where they, they want to move on, then I think that would be worthwhile to look at. And the last guy, which would be very tough to acquire, Al Horford. I mean, mm. again, just fits like a glove with anyone. Good defender, spaces the floor, can, can you know, direct um, a team if need be. If, you know, he, he can run lineups – when Zion and Ingram are on the bench, like he's a guy you can throw out there with anyone. You can throw him out there with them or not with them. And it's fine. So again, like varying degrees of availability. I mean, Turner, Jang and Carter jr. I mean, you could get any of these guys. They just all make wildly different salaries. So, right. So figuring that part out would be tough, but looking around the league, those were the five guys or the four guys I thought that made the most sense. All right, so let me throw out a couple names at you that I think you might be able to steal if you're in New Orleans. So the first one is Mo Bamba, right? We talked at length during the Orlando pod that they've completely mismanaged the Mo Bamba situation. It's not, listen, they didn't foresee Vucevic becoming what he became, right? He got he got really better after the 2018 draft. It's just now you've wasted three years of a draft pick. And he's going to be a, a restricted free agent after the next season. So if you're in New Orleans, I would maybe try and steal him. And then another guy that I think is worth trying to steal. It feels like this team is pretty high on him, but, you know, it's not – there's nothing wrong with trying to take a flyer. Is Zach Collins. Mm. I think that, you know, if you can manage – I feel like Zach Collins' thing in Portland isn't working. I just feel like it hasn't gone according to plan. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna pull his uh, basketball reference page up real quick. See how many games he's played. So he was drafted in the 1718 season. So he's a restricted free agent after this year. He has played 154 games. He played 66 games his rookie year. He played 77 games the second year. So he stayed healthy that year. And then last year he played 11 games, <laughs> and he hasn't he hasn't played at all this year. And it says on the um because you know basketball reference will sometimes have um player injury updates. And on March 5th, it said he's still rehabbing his ankle. If everything goes to plan, there's a chance he could return in time for the playoffs. But where would he fit in the rotation? I think Cantor's taking his spot. And I think Cantor's probably going to stick around there for a while. I'd rather play Cantor if I was them than Collins. But who's to say what their plans are? But I think I think if you can steal Collins and play him at center full time, because that's part of the problem with Collins, too. It didn't it wasn't a clean fit with Nurkic because he's a center. So I want to see if they can steal they can steal Collins but um so let's now make our second question our last question which was which young players are worth salvaging for the Pelican slash should they trade Lonzo and let's go ahead and answer the second one first I'm answering with a big fat no they should not trade Lonzo but there's a chance they might because they fear what he might get in restricted free agency but he's been a lot better this year since the first time we talked about him, he's at 38% from three. He's at six assists a game, 14 points. Dylan Hughes, what say you? Do you trade Lonzo Ball if you're the New Orleans Pelicans? I wouldn't be eager to trade him, but I do have fit concerns because when I watched them earlier in the year, and we haven't seen him lately because I think he has a hip flexor, um, so he didn't, he didn't play in the games I watched this week. But – my concern with him is, I mean, going back to college, he's been a guy that's been better with the ball in his hands. And if you don't have Ingram there, I think it would be fine because Lonzo is a really good transition guy. That's kind of where he made his shine at UCLA and even on the Lakers. So when he's, you know, running in transition, getting the ball to the better shot creators, that's where he shines right now there's just not enough touches for that. And they've kind of shoehorned, shoehorned him into a shooting role, which, listen, his shot has gotten a lot better. I mean, he's shooting 39% this year from three. But I don't think that is utilizing him to the best of his ability and their ability as a team. So, you know, if you get rid of Bledsoe and you have like a combo guard there, or if you just put Lonzo Ball at point and then have like Josh Hart start, you know, maybe that works out. But I just worry that his fit with those two other guys doesn't work as well. So again, I wouldn't be eager to trade him. I wouldn't be surprised if they're eager to trade him because they're going to have to pay him. So they're kind of at a point where it's like, we don't really know what this guy is. We don't know how he fits in. And we don't know what the hell to pay him. So I'm interested to see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised if he got like a Marco Fultz type deal, um, like a three-year deal where I, I think he got 16 a year or something like that, which I think is is pretty fair. And in this NBA economy, a player like Lonzo is probably worth about that. So, you know, if, if it ends up being like that, it's fine. But – it's interesting because the teams they're mentioning that they are interested in Lonzo. I don't know if you really get back what you need. You know, I, I think like a no doubt shooter 
that can play off of those uh, off of Zion and Ingram. If you can get someone like that, maybe you go ahead and do it. But I don't know. It's it's tough because I still have a lot of faith in his game, but it's just the fit on that team in particular. I'm not sure if it works. That's fair. I see one one big trade. I think that Woj so Woj and Zach Lowe had a special on ESPN today. I listened to the podcast version of it, and apparently they were talking. They were talking with Atlanta about maybe trading, moving him for John Collins, which would be intriguing. But it's not. They say it's off the table, and uh, Woj said that Colin uh, Atlanta is going to stand pat most likely. But another trade that they threw out there, which I don't, I'll, I'll gauge your reaction to now, is that maybe they trade him to Chicago with like Eric Bledsoe or Steven Adams, one of the two for Lowry marketing and Otto Porter. And how do you like that trade for, let's just start with new Orleans up or down for new Orleans and up and down for Chicago. I don't know if that makes sense for Chicago. Like what do you do with Kobe white then? Gunner off the bench. I think that he would be a really good gunner off the bench. Just let him have as many shots as he wants. I think that I I agree that that could work, but I would be surprised if Kobe White's happy with that. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know. I I could see a uh, a trade demand happening if that happens because I don't know. Like I don't know what Kobe White thinks of himself, but I doubt he thinks he's a bench gunner. I think that so Kobe White was probably a, a Garpax pick, if I'm not mistaken. And then I think Karnishavis and the new regime took over in about March, like right before the season stopped last year, if I'm not mistaken. They came in and they cleaned house, basically, and they hired Billy Donovan in the offseason. So who's this like this like none of these guys are the front office's guys, right? Like and who's to say that they're even ownership's guys at this point? Like, I don't know. Jerry Reinsdorf, for all the complaints I have about him, is famously hands-off. Jesse's too loyal, and that's why he didn't fire Garpax forever. But, like, I think that the current front office, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to move Wendell out, like, two or three of Wendell, Lowry, and Kobe White. Like, they probably keep Kobe White since he's a second-year player, and I think he showed a lot of upside scoring-wise, but they might not like what they see in him. Well, I'll say this. Lonzo and Levine would be a really, really nice fit. I mean, we've seen with Levine this year, and I I have a mini Levine thing I've been wanting to discuss, and it's perfect that we're going to talk about the Kings on this pod. I want to get into that. But, I mean, Levine has just been so, so, so good this year. I mean, I I, I feel like I, I look at his shooting percentages once a week because I'm just still shocked that he's been as efficient as he has. But – See, like, like Levine and Lonzo, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's, that's the type of guy that Lonzo would be great with. And Chicago would be a great team because they just have Levine handling it and really no one else. Um, I mean, I've, I've been up and down on Lowry. I'm not in love with him either way. So, from a Chicago standpoint, I think that would be worthwhile because, hey, you get Pat Williams in there then. And we, uh, I think we would both like that. And, you know, Otto Porter is like, I like Otto Porter, but I mean, it never made a ton of sense for them to do that. But, you know, again, it was a guard packs thing. Otto Porter is definitely getting bought out. 
like if he's traded, if the Bulls make a trade, he's and even if the Bulls don't make a trade, he's probably getting bought out because there's no reason for it. I don't even know if he's played this year. Like he, I think he has, but not much. And I don't know why teams would maybe want him. I can't say that for sure, but um, the Lonzo element is fascinating. But in the interest of time, since we've spent a long time on the Pelicans, um, let's just go over their young guys real quick. So okay, we'll just go through names of the young players and yes or no, keep them or not. So Josh Hart, I think I know the answer to this one, but I'm a yes. What say you Dylan Hughes? I'm going to answer with a stat line of last night. Okay. Not a great shoe night. One of nine, two points. Listen to the rest. 15 rebounds, 15, not the first time that he's had double digit rebounds, not even close. I mean, that dude is like Russell Westbrook. He is very active on the boards, five assists, five steals. I mean, seriously, talk, like talk about fitting with a glove with any team. Josh Hart is like, he might be this generation's Marcus Smart. I don't know. Like he kind of feels like that to me. He, he is really, really good. And he's like one of those guys that, I mean, he's just solid all around. Like again, Villanova guy, we, we could, we could do a full podcast on Villanova guys, but yeah, I mean, he, he has been amazing this year. So easy. Yes. For me. Stole my line there because I was going to say always draft Villanova guys. And yeah, he's just absolutely phenomenal role player. And he's the kind of guy you want in your foxhole. Like that's a guy, you know, for sure is trying his hardest on every single play. Every single time he's always hustling. The effort is very apparent, even on the television screen, which is always, always something you'd like to see. Let's go ahead and move to this guy. You might've heard of him. Zion Williamson. No, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) But um, real quick on Zion. I looked up on Stathead. Um, Guys who were averaging over 25 points a game on 62% shooting from the field. There's one guy. It's Zion Williamson. So <laughs> I thought Wilt might have, like, when you're doing something that Wilt never even did, I, I got to give you props, but okay. Um, let's go ahead and move to Kira Lewis. I say yes, because the potential is very evident, but he hasn't played a whole lot. Um, and the shooting percentages aren't great, but he's a rookie point guard who has been behind two two considerable vets. So um, yes or no, Kira Lewis. Yeah. Every time I like him, I walk or every time I watch him, I like him. I mean, he can shoot a bit again. Percentages aren't there yet, but he can shoot. He can, you know, run a pick and roll. He can uh, pass, get to the rim. I mean, I, I think he's got a lot of potential. All right. Nikhil Alexander Walker. I say, yes, I like the scoring bag that he has, but I'm, I'm curious to see what you say. Yeah, I like him a lot. I think he's got a lot of potential. Um, the three-point shot isn't there yet, but I think it's eventually going to get there. Uh, I He looks really comfortable with the ball, and that's something I always look for in someone like that. Um, and every time he's out there, I mean, he does something good. So, yeah, definitely a yes for me. And then the last one, and I think this is where – I think we'll probably agree on this too, but Jackson Hayes – Get him out of there. Get him a fresh start on a different team that can actually utilize him. I think he can be very useful right now. Like, we see the guys, his archetype. Like, look at a guy that we're going to talk about in Brooklyn, Nick Claxton. Why can't he be Nick Claxton? So, yeah, get him out of there. Let him have a fresh start. Yeah, and and he's becoming, like, an all-around good defender. I mean, he's he's always been a good room protector, but he's he's getting pretty good at reading stuff and stepping up out of the paint a little bit. But again, they just don't have anyone that can really get him the ball in the best way. Um, but yeah, I think he has a ton of potential. But yeah, this this team is just not utilizing him properly. So get him to someone that can that he can run with. 
Yeah, like maybe our next team, the Sacramento Kings. How do you, how do you like that? How do you like that transition? Beautiful. That was, that, was a, that was a pretty good transition by me. So the Kings are 18 and 25, good for 13th in the Western Conference. Um, so, okay, also in a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll say, it's not doing it now because obviously this was our second week of the season. So the records are going to be like two and oh, three and or like whatever, right? Like the records are going to be small, but like in a couple of weeks, once we get to like the Cavs week, or like, I think it's the Hawks, the Knicks and the Spurs. Then I'll start saying the records when we actually did the teams, because that's when they actually matter. But now we're like seven, eight games in the season at, when we did these teams the first time. So it didn't matter as much, but yeah, the Kings are 18 and 25 13th in the Western Conference. Their week, they, I feel like they had a pretty good week, all things considered. Um, they they beat the Celtics, or they beat the Wizards, 121 to 119. This is a really Trailblazers heavy week and a really Wizards heavy week for us, I feel like. Um, they beat the Celtics, 107 to 96. They absolutely got shithoused by the 76ers, 129 to 105. And then they beat the Cavaliers, 119 to 105. So... Our first big question of the week, and it's about De'Aaron Fox, our, you know, one of our favorite players in the league. And this isn't really even a question about the Kings. It's just about the players and about young point guards and allow us to have some fun with the league. So Dylan Hughes, rank these six guards. De'Aaron Fox, John Morant, Trey Young, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, LaMelo Ball, and Colin Sexton. LaMelo Ball won, obviously. De'Aaron Fox, two. Jaw, three. Sexton, four. SGA, five. Trey, six. Wow. It's funny. I, we have completely different rankings. So say your <laughs> rankings one more time for me because I was in shock that you had LaMelo first. But can go, uh, go ahead and read your rankings again one more time because I make sure I get it right. Okay. Melo, one. Fox, two. Jaw, three. Sexton, four. SGA five and Trey six. This is interesting. So, okay. I have jaw first. I have oh. Fox second. So we have the same there. I have SGA third. Hmm. I have Trey young fourth. I have LaMelo fifth and Sexton sixth. This is real interesting. I'm glad I did this because I'm really, I really like when we don't agree. So, okay. We'll, we'll talk about Fox later, but, is mellow for you right now just the absolute like potential of what he's going to be? Cause I feel like not like no offense to mellow. He just hasn't done what like Morant has done in the league or like really the guys I had above him. I like him better now than Sexton, but I'm curious why you had him first. I think the difference between mellow and everyone else, and you could say Fox, well, Fox is close, but there's no flaws in Melo's game that I'm really worried about. Um, so jaw is just the pull-up jump shot I worry about. It, at some point, it's going to hurt him. It's been fine to this point because he's just such a wrecking ball at getting to the rim, and he's so savvy with his dribbling. But, I mean, it, we just, we've watched enough point guards to know this is, it's going to be a problem at some point. Um. Sexton, this one was interesting. Like, I I went back between him and SGA. As much as I like SGA, there's just a lot of times when things get tight where he can't do what he wants to do, so it just doesn't really work out. And and that just goes back to his shot, too. I mean, he's, he's just a guy that needs space to shoot. And 
if if you can't get a shot off quick at the end of the game, you know, that's that's just it's tough. And I think he can get there. I like I really love watching him. I think he's a very, very good prospect moving forward, but that's just one thing I worry about. And then Trey, it's pretty clear, like incredibly good passer and very good shooter. It's just and this is more the system than him, but it's the, the way things that have gone with the Hawks so far where – and it's got, gotten better lately because they have more talent, but uh, it's just running everything through him. It's just – I mean, look at – some of these other guys have been kind of leading the show too, and they've had more success to this point than Trey. Um, and I don't know if that's an indictment on him or not, but like – and then there's the defense. I mean, his defense is just so bad. And, again, like we've talked about this a lot. With point guards, you can't expect too much defense. But, I mean, look at this list. Like, Melo is incredibly good in the passing lanes, so, like, he's going to get steals. Fox is just – he's a decent all-around defender. Like, he's always – you know, again, he's not going to try all the time because point guards just don't do that, but he's he's good. Jaw – I mean, Jaw's never been a good defender. You can't expect that out of him, really. Sexton, again, lackluster at times with tries SGA good defender so like out of this list Trey is by far the worst defender and has arguably had the least amount of success so that's kind of where I'm thinking with with all those guys but I mean they're all they're all in the same class and like they can move around at any time but that's where I stand right now I think that's a, that's a great way. The way you cap that off is a great way to put it. They're all in the same class. This is all the same level of point guard. You know, they're all, I purposely did the guards I did. I was going to throw Jamal Murray in there, but I figured he'd been in the league for a little too long. And I think it's probably safe to say Murray would have been very high on both our lists. I don't know if he would have been first for you still, but I think that all these guys kind of, I think they all do have like one intrinsic flaw. I don't think Lamelo's perfect yet, but I think Lamelo's flaw is just that he's a rookie. So I I understand your thing. I just you know, you could maybe talk me into you know what I will flip Lamelo and Trey, but I do think that like I love what SGA has done in Oklahoma City, and I do think he probably needs like a main shot creator next to him. But I think Fox and Ja do too. I don't think those guys. I don't think any of these guys, with the exception of Sexton, I trust at the end of a game to go get you a bucket, right? Like an actual pure bucket. Because Trey's going to just try to get fouled. Um, Lamelo, has just been deferring to Terry Rozier, which, I mean, let's face it, if he was on this list, he would have been at the top of our list because he's been a fucking fireball this year. But I think that it's interesting because I think Fox, other than Sexton, is the, probably the best scorer. I love the yeah. way Fox scores. like, And he's doing it off ball this year, too. Like, what... I mean, obviously he could do it off ball with Bogdanovich, but Halliburton just brings a whole different ball handling element that Bogdanovich didn't have. And I think that right now I would rather have Bogdanovich than Halliburton. But next year I would definitely rather have Halliburton than Bogdanovich. And the fact that Halliburton has stepped into the role that Bogdanovich had and is basically playing it. (laughs) He's a rookie playing a four-year – actually, I think Bogdanovich is only in his third year, but he played all those years in Europe. He's a vet, basically, at this point. Like, I know he was a rookie, but he's basically a vet. The fact that he's come in and he's replaced 15-point-a-game scorer with 12 points and five assists a game, that's off the top of my head. I don't know if that's exactly accurate. But, like, the fact that he's been able to come in and play so well, I really am in awe of what Halliburton's done. And he's I feel like he's unlocked a level of Fox's game. Like, Fox isn't shooting that great from three, but I feel like when Fox shoots it, it goes in. Right? Like, I feel like I feel more comfortable than, like, even Trey's three-pointers. Trey, I feel like he's trying to get fouled half the time when he shoots a three. Um, 
SGA shot, I just don't trust all the way. <laughs> um, ja, you brought up the pull-up jumper, and that's probably the biggest thing against him, for sure, is that he's not able to create his own shot the same way. But I feel like his passing makes up for it. I mean, I think he can develop a pull-up jumper. I think he's that good, but I don't know. I think it was an interesting comparison to see where we had Fox compared to the other young point guards because that kind of leads into my leads into another question I had, which is, so the Kings are kind of at the crossroads right now being at the 13th seed. You know, they're, let me pull up the standings real quick. They are not very far back from, let's see. So they're 18 and 25 and the New Orleans and Oklahoma City are 19 and 24. And then Memphis is at 10th with, at 20 and 20. So if you're, if you're Joe Dumars, and I don't remember the guy's name they brought in from Houston, but he's very well liked guy, and hopefully it'll offset some of the Joe Dumars. Um, <laughs> but do you try to do you cash in your chips and try to just try again next year, or do you try to make the playing tournament if you're the Kings? I mean, I don't know what cash in your chips really means. Um, like, I am very against just not trying to win. I mean, I don't know. They have enough young talent where it's like they're going to get sick of just playing for lotto balls. Um, and like you have a guy like De'Aaron Fox. I just it's kind of disrespectful to, you know, just intentionally try to lose games like let let them do it naturally. You know, I don't I don't think they're good enough to make the playing tournament. So. I mean, they're they're fairly close, but I don't know. I don't I don't think they would get there. Um, so, just let them do it naturally. Like I don't think they're going to get there. And you're still going to have a decent draft pick without making it, even if you end up as the 11th seed in the West. Like you're going to get a top 10 pick, and you may get lucky and shoot up in the lottery anyway. So, I say just go for it. Um, and by go for it, I mean just keep being them and losing. But don't do anything. Don't try harder to lose. Just just continue to be them. But one thing that I am thinking about, and I don't know if this is something you do now or you do in the offseason, but I'm kind of at the point where it's like just play Fox and Halberton together and try to get rid of Heald. I think that's probably how they upgrade quickest. And, you know, I thought I didn't think too much about where and who you get back, but if you can get a solid three to put next to those two guys or even a four and like, I don't know what you do with Harrison Barnes in that situation. Maybe you just move him down to the three and play really big, but just get a forward. I mean, healed, like you have a limited upside with healed as a starter. If there was a team like Philadelphia, for example, that, was somehow able to maybe, you know, maybe let's just say in theory or for fun hypothetical that, Oh, we missed out on Kyle Lowry. Like what, what's another guy we could look at? Oh, well, buddy healed would fit really well with our two best players. And we wouldn't have to give up as much for him. He doesn't cost, he doesn't, uh, he makes like what 10 million less than Lowry, you know, like that's. And again, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, if Thibel and, and Maxi or whatever would do it for the Kings in that situation. But, you know, like that's there, there's really good teams out there that would probably give up a decent player for heel healed is an excellent fit off of two 
really awesome players. And the Kings just kind of have one pretty, pretty good, maybe soon to be really awesome player. So I feel like that's, that's the direction they should be looking at. And like, I, I mean, this, if this upcoming off season ends and healed is still a King, I think I'd be pretty surprised. It seems like the day of reckoning for that situation has been coming for years. So I think that's, that's the kind of the next step for them. Cause I mean, as you mentioned, Halliburton and Fox play really well together and having Halliburton on the floor as much as possible would be ideal. So moving him up into the starting unit would be good. Um, so again, it's like, who do you get back for healed that, that works better? I don't know the exact answers to that, but I think that's, that's the answer they, or that's the question they should be trying to answer. If you're the heat, let's just say, and you need more like, cause buddy healed is just like, it feels like he's had a down year, but he's shooting 38% from three on 10 attempts a game. <laughs> it's not like he's shooting, he's shooting bad from two. I mean, he's not even shooting bad from two. He's just not, he's not shooting from two, but I feel like he could help a lot of contenders. And that's an excellent point. And it brings me to like the other guy, like, yes, I've been saying getting a body Beale sitting with contender for, I want to say years now. I love the way that dude plays. And the fact that he is stuck in Sacramento, I feel bad for him because I want him on a winning team. And I think he could help a team. Like, let's just say Miami. I'd rather have him than, than Kelly Olenek personally, but. Oh yeah. I want to see. So you keep probably Holmes, even though he's an unrestricted free agent after this year, if I'm not mistaken. And you probably just try to pay him the mid level. Bagley's a sunk cost. And um, we'll, we'll get to your Bagley take as we close out the segment, because you obviously want to keep things together. So I'm not going to ask my next question, but what do you do about Harrison Barnes? He's playing the best he's probably played since that last year in golden state. He's averaging 16. He's shooting 37% from three on four attempts a game. Um, He's getting six rebounds, four assists. He's playing really well at the four. The Kings defense is just God awful. They're by far the worst defense in NBA history. It's not any one of the, I mean, when we were doing our list of guards, I was going to say none of these guys really have all defense potential, which is true. None of them, none of those guards on our list with maybe the exception of SGA can make all defense and maybe LaMelo, but it's too early to say, but the Kings defense just is in shambles. And like, I think Harrison Barnes can help a contender. He's very good on defense, even though the Kings defense sucks. Like, would you trade Harrison Barnes now while his value is high, or do you try to ride this thing out with Harrison Barnes and hope he does this again next year? Yeah, it's fascinating. That that's I think that's behind heel. That's the next thing. It's like, what do we do with Harrison Barnes? Um, I I would be surprised if you couldn't find a team that would pay a pretty penny for him. I mean, like look at what the Clippers went after last year. Like, is he not this year's Marcus Morris? Mm-hmm. I mean, that it's a similar type of situation. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, if there's a market for him, it's just what teams are out there that are looking for that specific type of guy. Like, the Nets, I don't know if the Nets would do it. Maybe. They were looking at Norm Powell, but it's like then, I mean, I don't know what they would trade. They're, talk, they're talking about apparently – dealing Spencer Dinwiddie, which I think is smart because he's not playing this year anyway. And I mean, hell, if the Nets aren't going in all this year, then I don't know what the hell it means to go all in. So that's interesting. 
Um, the Lakers, you know, it's like these these top teams, I don't know. Utah probably would be an interesting place, but again, it just goes back to what do you give up? As we discussed with Utah like a month ago, they would be a, a good destination for a lot of different guys. It's just how do you give up the assets to get that piece without hurting yourself in another area? So, you know, I think it's two different questions. It's like, should the Kings be willing to move on from Harrison Barnes? Yes. But are they actually going to be able to get equal value in return? And is there a, a big enough market for him right now? And that's something I can't really answer because these things are very random. I mean, there's going to be a bunch of names tomorrow that we hear they got traded that we probably never expected to be traded. Um, you know, it's just kind of how it works. But I mean, think about it this way too. Aaron Gordon's being mentioned a lot. If, if Aaron Gordon's cost is a little bit too high for a team, Harrison Barnes will be a pretty good pivot. So, you know, and I don't know what teams are going after Aaron Gordon besides the Celtics, but, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I selling high in Harrison Barnes would probably be the best move for them, but keeping him also wouldn't be terrible. Okay, so while you were saying that, I thought of something, okay? And we were talking pre-show, we were talking about DeMar DeRozan, right? And here's the three-team trade for you. No one ever in these fake scenarios does three-team trades. But here's the basic outline of a trade, right? So the Knicks throw, like, salary filler and, like, whatever young guys they don't want at the Kings, right? And then the Spurs get Harrison Barnes, and the Knicks get DeMar DeRozan. How do you like that trade? You know, when I was talking, I was thinking about the Spurs. I just didn't know how. And we were talking about DeMar to the Knicks before this pod. So it, it's a beautiful way to wrap it up. Um, but, yeah, and, and again, it goes back to what do the Kings get out of that? I don't – I just don't like what the Knicks have. Like, I – if we're talking about what we talked about before the pod, Frank Nilakina and Kevin Knox ain't it for the Kings – so that's that's uh, if they're talking about Obi Toppin again, that's that's a different story. But I like the idea of it. It's just you got to find the asset somewhere for the Kings. Or if you want to do it a different way, Lonnie Walker and Lamarcus for Harrison Barnes, and then you buy out because I don't think Lonnie Walker is can be in the Spurs' future plans. They have too many guys. And if they're going to use their chips to try to cash in somebody, I think Lonnie Walker in like a first round pick sometime, like heavily protected, it's probably going to be their best way to try to upgrade in a meaningful way. And you could do a lot worse. Like we've been saying, you could do a lot worse than Harrison Barnes, a power forward. I don't know. I think the Spurs might be his best fit if like the Celtics don't want him or the Nuggets. Nuggets would be a good Harrison Barnes team, but that money would be a little difficult to make work. But actually, no, it wouldn't. You just need Gary Harris. But I don't know if you'd want to trade the soul of your defense for Harrison Barnes, but neither here nor there. Um, Yeah, I think Harrison Barnes is one of the most interesting cases on the Kings because he could help a lot of guys. Like the way he's playing in Sacramento this year, I, I just love the way he's been playing for them. He's such a good veteran presence. And every time I watch a Kings game, Harrison Barnes, Harrison Barnes doesn't stand out unless you're watching him. But what he does can't be ignored for the team. He spaces the floor, right? Like, he's not shooting great percentages, but again, no one in this team is really shooting a great percentage. They don't have a whole lot of great shooters, right? 
if you get him in a situation where he's going to have more open shots, I think he can knock down 39 to 40% of his shots. I think he's capable of it. And we saw it in Golden State. I think that he hasn't changed much since he's been in Golden State. And if he can do what he's doing now on a contender, I think that a contender could really use him. Yeah. And I mean, we've been talking about the Heat all year. And they just got Trevor Ariza. So I don't know if they're looking for that anymore, but. I mean, I think you could probably get similar production that Jay Crowder gave you last year out of Harrison Barnes. Yeah, exactly. And you could debate whether you'd rather have Crowder or Harrison Barnes, but I think they basically do the same things at this point. I'd rather maybe have the more consistent shooting of Barnes, but it's up for debate. Like, I don't know. It's real interesting, and I think that they should look at their options, but I don't think they will. I think the Kings... What we're going to have this year is we're going to have somebody surprise sell, right? Like, we're going to have, like, one of, like, the range of, like... Toronto, we obviously know is selling, but there's a chance Indiana sells. There's a chance like New York sells. They're, they're not going to sell, but like there's a chance like New Orleans sells. There's a chance like Memphis could sell, right? Like someone is going to sell that we don't see coming, right? Like someone's going to give away a piece and build towards their future that we don't see coming because it's so bunched up. So I, I'm really curious to see what shape the trade deadline takes, but um. So we haven't really let you go off on Halliburton. We haven't really let you go off on Bagley. In the interest of time, I'll let you choose which one you want to do, and then we'll move on to the Nets. You know, I don't know if I can say anything I haven't said about either. Um, So what I do, I'm going to go ahead and actually pass on both and just say what I want to say about Levine real quick. I was just thinking, I've been thinking recently about how everyone laughed at the Kings a few years ago for signing Levine to that offer sheet. And then everyone laughed even more when the Bulls matched it. And look how it's turned out. I mean, if Levine was on the Kings right now, they're a playoff team. If, if he plays this same way, I mean, him and Fox playing together would be incredible. So I've just been thinking about how it's funny. And it's like, I don't even want to judge things anymore. I don't want to judge trades. I don't want to judge draft picks. I don't want to judge signings because – so many times the player or the team proves us wrong. So it's like, I don't want to judge anything anymore because I mean, Levine signing the deal he's on now was looked at as so stupid by the teams and it's proved to be a major bargain. (laughs) Yeah. You can't ever tell where development's going to come from in the NBA. Like, I mean, this might end up being like a one-year thing like Oladipo, but I think Oladipo's thing was more attributable to injuries rather than like him actually falling off. But you you just never know. Development isn't linear in the NBA. You don't get better from one year to the next. Sometimes you might get a little worse. Like look at Jason Tatum, right? Or look at Jalen Brown even. Jalen Brown got worse in his second year, like statistically. And now Jalen Brown is one of the like 15, 20 best players in the league. So you can never tell where this stuff is going to progress to. Like some guys will just fall off cliffs randomly, right? Like it doesn't happen as much anymore, but like, look at Allen Iverson. Like one day he was starting an all-star game. And I think by like two years later, he was out of the league. So (laughs) you just never know what this stuff like is random. And I think that Levine's a perfect case of that because you're right. Everyone did laugh at the Kings. I was like, what the hell are the bulls doing matching this contract? Everyone said that. Like, I'm sure you might have said that, but we just don't know. We can't ever judge, you know, don't count your chickens before they hatch. There's a famous saying, but I I think in the NBA, it's really true because you just can never guess, right? Like, like four years ago, right? Like, let's just use Edis Cantor for an example, right? Everyone's like, oh, you can't play Cantor. Oh, you can't play Cantor. Like when Billy Donovan said it in the playoffs. But now 
like Cantor's a solid role player and he's going to probably be in the league for another few years because he knows his role and he knows what the hell he's doing. Like if I told you that, like in 2015 or 16, would you like Dylan, would you believe that Enos Cantor would have like stepped down his ego and just said, no, I'm going to take my bench role and I'm going to get my points. I don't think so. And I don't think I would have said it about Dwight Howard either. And look what happened. Exactly. He turns it around quick. (laughs) And there's there's another guy that we could say that about too. It's Jeff Green on the Brooklyn Nets. Oh yes. Look at me. Look at me. And I, I do want to talk about Jeff Green because I love the way he's playing this year. And I never thought I'd say that about <laughs> Jeff Green ever. But the Nets are second in the Eastern Conference at 30 and 14. They are rolling right now, even without we don't know when Kevin Durant's coming back at all. <laughs> but they beat James Harden's just playing like the MVP right now. He's not going to win and deservedly so because he forced his way out of Houston. But <laughs> um, the the Nets had a great week. They beat the Pacers 124 to 115. They lost the Magic on between 69 points between Evan Fournier and Aaron Gordon. The last time anyone will ever say that sentence, unless they're treated <laughs> together. Um because Aaron Gordon requested a trade. They beat the Washington Wizards 113 to 106 in Blake Griffin's first game. And then last night they defeated the Portland Trailblazers 116 to 112. So Dylan Hughes, let's start with the, the biggest question for the Nets, because we haven't heard from Durant since February. I don't, he hasn't played since February 13th, I want to say. So even if this team is missing Kevin Durant, do you still have them as title favorites? Yeah, this is tough. I still think I give them the nod over Milwaukee just because I don't trust Milwaukee. Um, but it's Philly is, is a huge X factor because I think if Philly did, if MB didn't have injury issues all the time, I would probably give them the edge um, because while I think Harden and Kyrie are better than Simmons and Embiid and, you could maybe make an argument about that. I would say that, I mean, Harden is definitely the best at all those guys, but the other three, the order you put them in, I think could be debatable. Um, but either way, Philly probably has a better team around those two. But again, I don't know if I trust Embiid's health. And even Simmons has had health issues in the playoffs, or he's, he's either had health issues in the playoffs or he's just been figured out by defenses where – I mean, think about that Miami series a few years ago where they kind of just took him out and they they played freaking TJ McConnell over him because they just they figured Simmons out. And again, like he was younger then. I don't think that would be an issue now, but it's something to think about. Like there's a lot of smart playoff teams and really any team that runs into Miami, I'm scared for at this point because Eric Spolster has figured out almost every team. I mean, he is just a defensive mastermind. So I, I, I'm a little bit worried for their playoffs because I, I think they've underwhelmed most times. I mean, they got to the final East Conference finals a few years ago. But um, so I probably would give them the edge still. I mean, they have their offense is just unbelievable, you know? And like, I mean, hell, even Landry Shamit is like a huge piece of this team, which we kind of, Earlier in the season, we were like, yeah, Landry Shamit ain't it. But he's he's played an important role. Bruce Brown, obviously, has been really big for them uh, ever since trading Jared Allen. Um, so I think I give them maybe a slight edge. But what they do at the trade deadline slash buyout guys, 
I mean, you know, they're getting someone. So that that's kind of what I'm hedging it on. And I, I probably would give them the edge without KD still. Well, we are betting on them getting someone. We are betting on them getting the Pelicans JJ Redick when he's bought out after the trade deadline. Um, he is expected to be bought out and it is expected that he will go to the Nets. It's not for sure yet, but I mean, he JJ lives in Brooklyn. So, I mean, I feel like once Harden got there, the last time we did the Nets pod, we were wondering if they were the worst defense we'd ever seen. I feel like I don't remember exactly, but they were really bad. Like they just gave up 141 points to the Hawks. <laughs> if you remember that week, that was that game. So I just feel like when Harden's on the court, the defense works. And I don't know how to explain it, right? If you told me three, again, another thing of perception changing in the NBA. If you told me five years ago that James Harden would be like one of the best defensive players on a roster with Kevin Durant and DeAndre Jordan, I would have said you're a crazy person. But I think that this team, like right now, Kyrie's not playing because he's taking some uh, pers- like family matters. Um, coincidentally, right when his birthday is, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, I think the defense just looks a lot better when Harden's on the court. Like they communicate well. Like yes, they still get their defense isn't great, but it's not bad. And I think Harden's really just underrated on the defensive end at this point. Like he, again, he's not like scotty pippen no one will ever accuse him of being you know andre Iguodala. but what he is he's really just like he's a stabilizing force he can it's really good on switches which the nets do a lot um i think that even if it's just Kyrie and harden i think they'll be fine because i think they can string together some stops jeff green is playing out of his mind on both sides <laughs> he's playing phenomenal You've been wanting to talk about Bruce Brown, I feel like, for months now. Like, Nick Claxton is really good on the on switches, and he's just been really good for the Nets. I feel like DeAndre Jordan is trying half the time now, which is better than before. Like, I think this team, Dylan, I don't think that like, even the Lakers at full strength against Kyrie and Harden, I don't think I would favor the Nets probably. Yeah, Kyrie and Harden, I never expect them to fit this well. I mean... And again, we haven't seen the full three too much, so it's still interesting. I don't think KD is really going to interrupt things. But, I mean, when this trade happened, I mean, we did our reaction pod, and I just – I didn't see how they could keep Kyrie. I I thought they would probably have to trade him for rim protection or something a, just to improve their defense because, like, you can score a lot of points, but, you know, you got to stop them at some point. And let me tell you, Kyrie is playing defense – He's not doing it all the time, but, I mean, he's he's all in. Like, you can tell he really wants to win this year. I mean, him, but him and Harden on offense is more important. I mean, they, they, they have figured out how to balance their, their selves and their game perfectly pretty quickly. It's like it, it looks like they've played together for years. There hasn't really been any tug and pull with the ball. I mean, they both, they both sit off ball – a fair amount and let the other work and they get involved. And I mean, they, there doesn't seem to be any sort of issue with them sharing the ball. Um, and again, it, it helps that everyone else on the floor is just kind of spot up guys or cutters. So again, when KD gets out there, it's going to be interesting, but I mean, if inserting Kevin Durant into the lineup is your biggest problem, I think, I think you're in a pretty good place. So I mean, I, I just – I really love the way they've played. And like you mentioned, their defense is tightened up. Um, but, again, their offense is so good, it's like you can afford to give up a lot on defense and still be fine. 
And I'm, I'm, I have Clay in the Glass lineups page pulled up, right? And so James, I just looked up lineups where James Harden is at the point guard, and I'll, I'll actually change it to where James Harden's on the court and um, Kyrie and Kevin Durant are off real quick. But the defense when those guys are on, when those guys are off, is not like it's the 46th percentile. Like it's not bad, Dylan. Like. Harden has the team playing really well <laughs> just on both sides. Like it's just an efficient machine. Like Blake Griffin has looked great since he got to Brooklyn. And this is something we talked about in our Detroit pod. Like, Oh, he just probably needs to get to a contender, but Holy shit. He's actually playing well. I don't know if it's a sustain, but like Dylan, I think this team, I think Milwaukee and Philly will give them hell of a fight. I don't think they're, they're, they're that much better than Philly and Milwaukee. But that being said, I can't see either of those teams beating them unless <laughs> Milwaukee got a hell of a lot tougher last week getting PJ Tucker and Philly can always, if Philly adds Kyle Lowry or hell, even buddy healed, I like their chances a lot more too. Cause I just don't want Danny green out there because Danny green, he just is. Listen, I, I'm speaking your language right now <laughs> <laughs> saying you don't want Danny green out there, but yeah, I think that, if Philly adds Kyle Lowry, that's going to be a hell of a conference finals or if they play in the second round, whatever. I think I just want to see what the teams do to try to combat each other because I feel like this is the most top-heavy the East has been in a while. But So talk about um, what you've seen from Blake Griffin in the in the couple of games that he's played. His first game was on Sunday, and he played, um, he played Sunday, and then he played yesterday, and he's going to be off. They're playing tonight against the Jazz. He's taking a rest game. But what did you see from Blake Griffin that you maybe liked or didn't like on the for the Nets? I mean, he's interested. That's what I like about it. I mean, he's he's actually like spry and like he seems like he's not depressed when he goes home and looks out the window and it's like, oh yeah, I'm still in Detroit. You know, I, I think he's I think he's a little bit more excited now and. And I mean, I'm not going to expect him to do too much because, again, you got one ball and he's just not as explosive as he once was. Uh, I think you can probably blame a lot of injuries on that. But I'm interested to see. I mean, we haven't seen a ton so far. He hasn't. I mean, he's been like on a minutes restriction, but um, it's I mean, it's something that Brooklyn like had to do. You know what I mean? When you have a chance to sign Brook, uh, I almost said Brook Lopez, <laughs> Blake Griffin. <laughs> I don't know why the hell that came to my mind. from your mouth, that's something else too. Because given the way we've talked about Brook Lopez the last couple months, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that, that I I can't call that a, a Freudian slip. I don't think I I don't know what was behind that, but I mean, when you have the chance to sign Blake Griffin for very cheap, you know, you just do it and. It's it's going to be interesting. Like I, for funsies, I would kind of like to see Blake Griffin run like a bench unit, because I mean we know he can handle the ball and like run an offense to a fairly efficient level, and I would be interested to see him out there with like Harris and Bruce Brown and some of these shooters, and just see what happens. Um, but yeah, I mean he's hey he dumped right, so that's that's always great. Um, so. Yeah, it's it's it was a move they had. I, I mean, they had to make, and um, he's he's looked fine to this point. If he can be like Ursan Ilyasova on defense and 
like we, like I said in the last pod, like six nine Jason Kidd on the Knicks, then he'll be fine, right? Like he doesn't need to do a whole lot, and I think that's the beauty of this team. I'm looking at the roster for the for the Nets. Twenty four guys have played for the Nets this year. <laughs> like it's it's crazy, but so let's just go through their perspective rotation. So they're we're assuming they're going to get JJ Redick. So. In the playoffs, let's just say everyone is healthy somehow. So you start Kyrie, or you start Harden at the one, Kyrie at the two. That doesn't really matter much, but whatever. Um, and then you start Harris at the three, KD at the four. Do you stick with DeAndre Jordan at the five? Do you th- feel like his effort since the Harden trade has justified him sticking at the five for the starting lineup for the playoffs? Yes, but have a short leash on him because <laughs> you have other options. Okay. So then that means... You are going to have to cut someone from the rotation. So okay, I'm. Are we cutting Landry Shamit from the rotation if JJ Reddick comes to the to the Nets? Yes. Okay, but so that means is JJ Reddick for sure in your playoff rotation though? That's an interesting question. Well, that's something he has to earn, I think, because the way he's played in New Orleans this year, and again, I think you can contribute it to the fact that New Orleans sucks, but um, I he has to earn it. But, I mean, he's he's 36 years old. Like, Kyle Korver really started to fade at this point. You know what I mean? And that's that's something to watch with with Redick. It's like it's a good guy to have out there for situations at least. But for anything more than that, I think he definitely needs to prove himself. Okay. So, does TLC – all right, is Jeff Green for sure in your playoff rotation? Yeah. Okay. I feel like I would say that too. Jeff Green's been great, like on both sides, like I said it earlier, but he just is a guy that just figured it out <laughs> 15 years into his career. He's 34 years old, and this is the best he's ever played and the best he's ever looked <laughs> on a basketball court. And I don't know how to explain it, but he just figured out what the hell he's supposed to do out there and what his best role is. And he's thriving as a small ball. Like he's not even small, he's average power forward size now, but like, when he first started in the league, he was playing small forward. So maybe that was just the thing. Maybe you just need to play power forward center all along. But, okay, TLC. Is TLC getting cut out of your playoff rotation? If you have to, yeah. I mean, he's not a tremendous loss. All right, what about, so, Blake Griffin. Is Blake Griffin playing for you in the playoffs? Probably. I mean, again, it, it depends on who who are the final contenders here. I would take Blake Griffin over TLC if that's what it comes down to. That's fair. That's fair. What about Nicholas Claxton? Where does he sit on your playoff rotation? Yeah, that's interesting because Claxton has looked really good lately. I mean, we were just texting about him. Like he's he's been injured a lot. Like he just came back last month, and he was a guy they really needed after trading Jared Allen, and they had to wait, but. I mean, he's active on both ends. He runs the floor. Like, I, I really enjoy watching him. Um, but the thing with them is, when it comes to the playoffs, I feel like their best move is probably just to have one center. And in some cases, Nick Clarkson's probably better than DeAndre Jordan, but I don't think you would ever see them benching Jordan for Claxton unless they became desperate. But I would imagine that they're going to, play you know jeff green kd and maybe even blake griffin at the five in the playoffs 
So I would be surprised if Claxton made the cut. I really wish Claxton was in the rotation. I, I hope that he is because he's so switchy. Yeah. Like, and maybe you run like Jeff Green at five, him at the four or something like that, but like, or that combination. I feel like he could stay on the floor for you. Like, I feel like he's good enough where he can stay on the floor in a playoff situation. And I feel like if you want to, that's the kind of guy you need in your rotation if you want to win playoff games. Like, that's the kind of guy, like, you need, he'll, he'll dive on the floor for a loose ball. Like, he'll, he just, he contains guys so well in the perimeter. Like, a guy his size shouldn't be so good at that. And he's not even that big. I think he's only like 6'8. But, or no, he's 6'11. He's 6'11. He's really good at containing guys on the perimeter. And is he a little thin? Yes. But I'll take that when you need to stop in the playoffs and you are running a team that runs a lot of pick and rolls, right? Like, let's just say, let's just say so, for some reason, you're running a Giannis Middleton pick and roll or, or Middleton Giannis pick and roll. And Claxton switches on to Middleton. I'm comfortable letting Claxton guard Middleton in that switch on that one possession, right? Like I think I think those kind of guys are necessary in your playoff rotation. I want to see him, I want to see him in the rotation, but and then you're obviously keeping Bruce Brown in your rotation, right? Like this playoff rotation is gonna be huge no matter what. Like I feel like all 12 on guys on this roster can play, which is saying something. Yeah, and that's, you know, I don't think like Steve Nash has proven to this point, and and going back to Claxton, I wouldn't be surprised if Claxton is like a situational guy at least, because I, I talked about this originally when we discussed the Nets, that Steve Nash was not afraid to bench DeAndre Jordan for Jared Allen, like right before they traded Jared Allen, he was starting, and it didn't start the season didn't start like that. Um, and there's been times where just DeAndre Jordan hasn't played that much. So Steve Nash is not afraid to throw Jordan to the bench. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if they run into like Miami at some point or Philly and they just really need a better counter to one of their bigs, I wouldn't be surprised if they go with Claxton. So I think the rotation is going to be pretty malleable. Like, cause as you mentioned, there's a lot of different types of guys on here that can all play. Um, but like they all have their own strengths and weaknesses. So, and if they add Reddick again, that's just another thing. So it's, I, I don't think I would be surprised if the rotation stays the same throughout. I think, I think you're going to see, depending on who they play, a lot of different changes. And that's a great point. And I feel like we haven't let you talk about Bruce Brown enough. So I'm just going to let you, I'm going to pass you the ball, clearing out um, James Harden, Houston style. Um, go ahead, take your step back three. That's going to swish. Um, talk about Bruce Brown. I mean, how can you not love a dude that's 6'4 and just plays like he's 7'4? I mean, this dude is running pick and rolls with James Harden and Kyrie Irving and literally rolling to the paint. It's like he doesn't – he's like doesn't understand that he's way smaller than he thinks he is. And it's not only – like he's not going to the rim and getting swatted. I mean – he is shooting 60% from two. Like he's getting to the rim and, and making it. And like he's, you know, we always talk about how good Jokic is at positioning himself to get shots that he can make. And Bruce Brown does the same thing. He's just seven inches shorter. Like he's, he, he just like figures out exactly where to go in the paint where he can get an easy little shot to toss up. And I mean, I seriously like as much as we talk about the stars on this team, I mean, you could argue Jeff Green, but 
it, I think Bruce Brown might be like the glue to this team. He's, he's that one guy that just makes everything work for everyone else. Cause he's, he's, and you know, it helps that his strengths kind of match this role, but he's, he's almost like stepped down a little bit beneath what he could be on a team to fill those cracks and, and again, make life easier for everyone else on that team. I mean, a lot of these shots that Joe Harris gets that are wide open, that Kyrie gets that are open, that Harden gets, like a lot of those are are helped by Bruce Brown being on the floor, setting picks and doing the dirty work. And and there's a lot of games where he gets rewarded where he puts up a good amount of points and you know, I I just I just really love watching him and I mean seriously, if they get to the finals and make it, everyone's going to talk about the Harden trade and obviously that's a huge deal, but getting Bruce Brown for freaking Musa, I mean, that's going to go down as a huge, huge steal because Bruce Brown has been, has just made a huge impact on this team and Musa would have probably been cut by now. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Musa sucked, but I, I think I heard something Dylan and I think, I think this might be true. I think that the reason Detroit traded Brown for Musa is because that was the piece that facilitated them getting Sadiq Bay. Because if I'm not mistaken, Sadiq Bay was the 19th pick, which was Brooklyn's pick last year. So I think that that was kind of like a separate trade because, you know, there was the whole Luke Kennard for Landry Shamit for the 19th pick deal. Yeah. I think that was kind of a supplementary part to that trade. Individually, it might be the worst trade I've ever seen, but... (laughs) I'd still probably rather have Bruce Brown and Sadiq Bay than doing that supplementary part of the trade. But what do I, what do I know? What do I know? Um, I do want to talk about Jeff Green real quick. I know I, I brought him up a lot already, but this man, his career high in field goal percentage before this year was like 47% or something like that. He's shooting. This is the first time in his career. He's shooting 50% or more from the field. He's at 50, 50% even he's at 41% from three. This man is just in role player mode right now. And I love the way he's playing on both ends. Like again, just finding life as a small ball, big at the end of your career and just hanging around. Jeff green should not have been in the league for 14 years. Everyone's like, Oh, Jeff green, Jeff green. We don't love him. We don't love him. Like we we're trying to get rid of him. The fact that he stuck around for 14 years. Good for you, Jeff green. Like, and the fact that he's going to win a chip now, or he's in a great position too. I'm not going to say he's going to, because obviously we don't know what's going to happen yet, but I feel like they're in the best position position to out of the whole league. But yeah, shout out Jeff green. Um, anything else before we go, Dylan Hughes, I feel like we touched all our bases. I think we've done it, man. I think we've done it. And on that note, that is going to be everything. So a little bit of a programming note. Um, so we are going to be coming at you with a, trade deadline recap tomorrow night on or i guess technically tonight and they'll be out on friday with caleb lynn jd hall bryce shaddy and zach griffith so make sure you look on the lookout for that i was on linsanity this week like i said earlier so go check that out um linsanity's covering the college the ncaa tournament then they're gonna be taking a little bit of a break caleb's caleb's been doing a lot of podcasts lately so you know he, he needs a little bit i'm giving him a little bit of a break you know really gracious guy over here um, <laughs> <laughs> um on in a serious note, he's been doing a lot of great work. So Circle City Cinema, Zach Griffith will be back reviewing the much uh, 
much awaited Snyder cut. So that'll be, he'll be doing a monologue on that. And then he and I will be back on our MCU show grind next weekend. So make sure you check that out. Um, Triple Ocean Pass, we're going to get together soon. Divine Rhyme, we don't have anything uh, planned out for that yet. And I think tomorrow's pod will take place of this, uh, this two weeks battleground because there hasn't really been a whole lot of news. So, and I'm hopping back on just to remind everyone that our teams for next week are the thunder are, our Hornets, we love them even in spite of Lamella Ball's injury, and I'd say the the patron saint of the running of the uh, Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour, the Denver Nuggets. So, Dylan Hughes, looking forward to that next week, and once again, um, for the second time in about ten seconds, thank you for joining me. Thank you.